Kenny is, as I said, a man of faith. He has got stories for days of the power of God delivering him from moments of death to moments of provision to moments of open doors to just unbelievable stories. And I believe if we open our hearts, as Bev said today, if we just surrender our hearts today, God will deposit a phenomenal faith in our hearts for the kingdom of God. So Henny, we thank you, we honor you, and Rita, thank you for years, years, years and decades of sowing and living and plowing, and it's like your, your bodies are getting older, but your faith is getting stronger, and it's amazing to see. Thank you. Thanks, Dad. Thanks. Appreciate it. Hey, when, you, when you've got to watch your steps to go up, then you know that you're getting old. And for me, it is an absolute privilege to be here this morning and uh, to, just to stand here and know that you guys have risked a lot to come and have us here. Uh, stand here, it's an absolute honor to know you guys, and uh, I think it's a bit of a... Uh, yeah, but what, you know, the, uh, I was thinking about Glenridge. We, uh, we, we came and we planted a church in, uh, in Richmond a number of years ago. And uh, Chris Vinant was still here and you had the, uh, the meetings in a meeting in a midweek in a house. Yeah, we used to go there. And then they moved to the uh, race course. We were there for some time. And uh, so we, we've, we've been walking the road with, with Glenridge also for a number of years. And there's a great friend of mine, Dougie. Where is he hiding? But he's there, that guy, Dougie there. Oh, Doug. You know, if you, we've had so many stories with this guy. And, but we, I don't want to lose focus on that. I know that um, for you as Glenridge, um, I've got a message here that's stirring in my heart. I really feel that um, God wants to do something here that re- really is going to um, help us into the future. And uh, so, you know, with that, you know, just getting into, into the Word straight away. Um, yesterday, with Matt, he risked with me having me here with all the young people. But this is the thing that is burning in my heart to see this next generation come through. With, with such, I'm so overwhelmed when I think of this. If we can't see this next generation come through, you guys who are sitting here this morning, this is for you. I'm really in my heart, I just feel that there's going to be such a release. But not just that. Even for the older folk here, it's going to be like God is going to thrust us out. It's going to be like a two-edged sword. You know, you think that your time is up. You've run the race. It's nothing. It's not up yet. You've still got breath in you. As long as there's breath. And there's no re- not such a thing as retirement. We only retire when we get there. And so, for now, we keep preaching this, running this race. But I know that in our midst this morning, it's like we feel the presence of God. He's here. Standing in our midst moving in our hearts. And that is what I would, I'm, I'm standing here this morning, aware of that, that God is here. 
and he wants to meet with us. Um, just coming out of the, the time that we had here the last few days with our equip, for you as a people, the message is simply this. You know, we've heard so much for those who were here, um, but now, what, where to from here? And for me, the message is simply this. It's crossing over time. God's, God is calling us to cross over into the new. And the thing that really dawned on me this morning, I'm speaking from Matthew, or from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 onward, and uh, it's Jesus. Now, Jesus set an example here for us. You know, he was in Israel. He did a lot of ministry in Israel. But then something happened in chapter 4. And it, that ministered to me this morning, standing there, when it, I thought it dawned on me. Here, you know, when we talk about the nations, Jesus set an example, and he said, it's not just going to be here where I'm going to walk. In Israel, he said, it's time to cross over, and they went into Jordan. And it's also interesting that while he was in Jordan, most of the miracles that was performed was, it was in Jordan. And uh, so we're going to read here from, from Mark chapter 4, from verse 35 onward. He said, the day when even, the day when, that, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Leave the crowd behind. He took him, took, he took him along, uh, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There, was an, there were other boats also. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we drown? Got up, he got up, rebuked the wind, and he said to the waters, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and he was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still not have any faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? That even the wind and the waves obeyed him. And, it's, and this, it, it's what, it was with this. Those disciples had no idea of what was coming. They were going to cross over. And I would like to just encourage us this morning. We've got no idea what is coming. Because God is calling us and we're going to cross over. And the, when they crossed over... It's interesting. First thing that we see here, here he came, and there was a demon-possessed man. And uh, when I crossed over into the Middle East, you know, I thought I was just going to preach in Africa. And then God said, no, you're actually going to cross over into the Middle East now. So Jordan was the first country that I, crossed, that I walked over into, into the Middle East. And uh, started working there. And after some time, I came to the Sea of Galilee. And to that very point, I knew that Jesus was here, somewhere in this area. This, this is where that demon-possessed man was. And that was the place where we planted a church a number of years ago. But it was, it was out of that, in, this, in the next chapter, in chapter 5, demon-possessed man, and there's Jairus, his daughter that passed away. And then she came back to life again. This is not just a Sunday school story. This is Jesus. This is what he's still doing. 
as we, as we take that step, say, God, I'm going to cross over. You know what that crossing over is going to be for you this morning. But there was that demon-possessed man, Jairus' daughter. You sit here this morning, you say, God, my situation is just, it's hopeless. I have got no idea of where to from here. But with Jairus' daughter, he had no idea what was about to happen there. Here was this lady with the issue of blood, suffering for so long. If I could but touch the hem of his garment, I would make be made whole. Imagine that. If you were to just say this morning, God, I'm going to cross over. Regard, don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at the things that you're facing. But just take that step. I'm crossing over. I've never seen anything like this. But this day, like that demon-possessed man, I'm going, you know, when he saw Jesus, he ran to him. Not all the demons in hell could stop him from coming to Jesus. You know, so it goes against all our theories and everything that we, that we, that we uh, would encourage people with. When he came to Jesus, he came because something happened here. And so for us this morning, as we come and we say, God, I'm going to come, I'm going to take this step. The early church, this is the gospel that, that Paul preached. That gospel came with power. That gospel, it was... It radically changed the lives of people. And it is still what God wants to do today. He's looking for radical believers who would take him by his word. And there is still power in the gospel. Now that which God is restoring is simply this. It is radical believers back into where they're supposed to be. God is saying to us, it is long overdue for you. You've been sitting here doing nothing. And it, you might be offended, but you know what? Build a bridge and get over it to this morning. Because we really, we cannot sit with this. There's so much at, at stake. God has called us for a time such as this. Now, there are four things that I'd like to share with us with, that will help us to understand as we cross over. The first thing we need to understand is God has called us to be apostolic. Being apostolic, how can Glenbridge... This church we started so long ago still keep running this race because you've got a testimony. We heard about that this morning. There's testimony here of what God wants to do. So being apostolic. Secondly, just to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, the church don't need to be in the maintenance mode. God has not called us to just be in this maintenance mode and we just there's nothing happening here. And then fourthly, the Focus on that which is eternal. This is what the early church, this is what happened. That, that was the DNA. They understood what it was like to be, the, what the apostolic was all about. They understood what it was like to be led by the Holy Spirit. And it was a church who understood that they just couldn't sit there and be in the maintenance mode. That's why there was persecution, they were scattered, and they understood what it was like to take the gospel out. And also they had an understanding of what, the, the, what eternity was all about. So first of all, we start off, first little thing, being apostolic. Like I said, when I crossed over into the Middle East, uh, eventually I came to the play, to, started going into Turkey and uh, went into the interior. 
and came to a place called Antakya. It is Antioch. There are two Antiochs, one in Syria and one in, 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 in Turkey. Now, if you look at church history, you, you know, he speaks about the two. But we're talking about this one, the Antioch, Antakya in Turkey. And this is the place where they were first called Christians. And uh, I thought it was a church building. But uh, they, I went there to this place, and it's actually a cave. Just, just a cave. And in this cave, later on, after many years, because of the persecution that they had there, they made escape routes into this cave that they could, that they could flee. But they even had a place where they could baptize people inside there. I, I arrived there, and a couple of times, every time I would go into that area, I would go, go there and then go and sit outside. I've got an idea, because remember, this is where they were first called Christians. And, I, and this is where, remember, Barnabas was there, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, didn't know what to do. And he remembered one thing, he must go and get Paul, which was about from Durban to Joburg. No cars, no nothing, no horse, no, but he went to fetch Paul in, in, uh, in Tarsus, and he brought him back. And this is the place, this Antioch was the place where Paul also rebuked Peter. There's so much history there. I would go outside and sit there. I say, God, these people were here so many years ago. Today, it's all, most of that is lost. It's all under Muslim control. What would they be talking about? Suppose I said, God, if I, my Thoughts can just start to just go a little bit. And I picture Paul sitting there with the other disciples saying, you know, I must take this gospel. That Antioch is also the silk route. It was the journey taking, you know, business route. And sitting there and saying, looking into Israel, saying, you know, this is where it all started, there, over there in that, in that direction. And he said, I must take this gospel where no one has ever been. That's the thing that has been stirring in my heart. I don't want to preach this gospel where someone else has been. I want to take this gospel where no one has ever heard. And that's by the grace of God that we've been doing all these years. So David Bosch made this statement. There's a church because it's a mission. You've heard this many times. But we have got this understanding there is a mission because it's a church. We think because of the church, now there's going to be a mission. No, no. We need to understand there's a mission out there. And that's why this church is here. And it's for us, maybe what God is saying this morning, it's time for us to understand the importance of what the apostolic is all about. That there's a, there's a mission out there. There are nations, there are people who are waiting for our obedience just to respond to this. Listen to this. Mark, that little boy, he was a little boy when he went with Paul and with his uncle Barnabas on Paul's first missionary journey. A little boy when he went out. And later on, this same little boy became useless, useful for Paul after you know, all, the, all the things that he went through. But this little boy became the one that we, that we read about. Now, the gospel started with a wedding. 
if you look at, the, at this, it started with a wedding, and in the book of, book of Revelation, it's going to end with a wedding. It started with a wedding, and it's going to end with a wedding. And then a little bit on there, the first Adam, if you look at in, in, in Genesis, when the first Adam came, Eve, Eve was born. When you, when you see this coming to the book of Acts, the church was born. And for us, we need to understand this. This is really what the soul is about. It's God who called us for this. Now, a little bit on here. The book of Matthew portrays Jesus as, as king. Excuse me. But the book of Mark depicts Jesus as a servant. Jesus here as the king. In Matthew, we come to the book of Mark as a servant. In chapter 1 of Mark, it starts with grace and it ends with being sent out. God called us and he's sending us out. The church exists because of this great commission. And that is why we are here. It is because of this great commission. As believers, God called us to be witnesses. God called us not just to sit here, but that which we have been given to actually to take that out. The Great Commission is our call-up paper. I like to always think, joke about this. I, had, I, ha, I, have, I never had many love letters. You know, when, you, when you're young, you get all these little letters and stuff. Only letters I had was from Rita. But before I met Rita, I had one love letter. And what, that love letter was a letter from the South African government. And it came simply to say, it was a call-up. You will report at such and such a time. And it wasn't something for my consideration. It wasn't something that I could reply to, say, I'm not available, I'm not coming. I had to be there. It was my call-up to go. But now, if you saying this morning, I am a believer, I've given my life to Jesus, then I've got news for you. This is not the South African, South African government. This is coming from the kingdom, from the king of kings. It's our call up. Because when we look at Matthew and Mark, last chapter, it was our call up. It was, we've been called. God gave us an opportunity, he invited us in, but now he's, he called us up. So this is what it's all about. Next little thing there is, and it's not a suggestion for our consideration. No, it's not something that we can some, say, you know, it's going to become a, something of prayer. I'm going to just first of all see God's face about this. We can't be, simply we can't be like this. It's like this lady. I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny with ladies, but she stopped there at this traffic light and a guy came and he stopped behind her. And the traffic light, it was, it was green, but she was a bit slow to react. So she waited for the traffic light to turn again. And, uh, and, it, and it, the same thing happened, but she still didn't go. And the guy was getting restless with her, and he got out of his vehicle, and he said to this lady, he said, Lady, you see that traffic light over there? He says, red, red means you must stop. Green means you must go. Are you waiting for the Minister of Transport to come and tell you that you can go? You know, for us as well, we don't need to wait to hear a voice to say that you must go. We read the word of God and we understand 
that God called us. There's work that needs to be done. It is Jesus who would say the very same thing here to us this morning. Would come to us and say, this is what I've called you to do. Now in Mark 1, it begins with the facts of the goodness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It started speaking about this. You know, when this gripped my heart, as a young believer at the time, when I read the verse 2 of that chapter, he said, see, I'm sending you. I couldn't sleep. I knew nothing, nothing about the gospel. I was a raw Philistine of note. But three days after I got saved, this thing burned in my heart. I can't, he said I must go. But I don't know what, all I had was my testimony that I came from. But I remember we lived in Friamachen at the time. And there was a little township or township called Sharpville. You know, in the late 60s, we had what they call the Sharpville Massive Massacre. It's part of the South African history. Now it was, this is 72. This thing, the police wouldn't even go on into Sharpville during the day. But it's burning in my heart. Go. I said, God, I'm not used to this. I, I've just come out of a military background. This thing is burning in my heart. And I went into Sharpville at night time. I would park my car outside that, that area. I would walk in. And I'd start knocking on these doors. People opened the, the doors. They were overwhelmed to see a white face. I know what to tell. I started telling you, sharing Jesus. And that year, we planted, I planted nine churches from nothing. Listen. When this gospel gripped our hearts, yes, we need to, we need to go and get trained. It's, it's important. Don't use that as an excuse because you might sit your whole life and you get all sorts of doctorates and doctorates in gospel and you think that God is sick. Just take what you've got and you go and do it. So, this thing gripped our heart. But then I read this when Jesus set an example. You know, when he said, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. I came into ministry full-time. My first trip was on, my, on our way just, just under four months. And I first place was in Potchefstroom. And you've all heard the story. I've longed longed for the miraculous. God, I've read about this, but I want to see this. That was the first miracle that I experienced, was when that lady with no pupils in her eyes, she came forward over 70 years of age, and for the first time in her life, she could see. And that was the beginning. And, and I've always, I know that God can do it. He can do it even here this morning. He's our God. And if we are obedient to Him, we will be surprised, overwhelmed to see what He will do. Then, so, a little bit on in that chapter, in verse 4, it speaks of obedience. Obedience, in Genesis 12, that was the gospel in advance. 
when God called Abraham and he said, go, leave everything you've got. You know, to stand here, to talk like this, sometimes I feel like a freak. Why am But I'm not the only freak. God is calling you as well. God has got a plan for you. Peter will tell you, before we had a family, we came in with this and we traveled with the gospel. But eventually the children came, Anton and Marie, for nine months of the year, for many, many years. They grew up like that. I would be absent. Like on AWOL, just with this gospel, just taking the children grew up like that. But the one thing I know about my son, when at the age of three, that was his first trip. Him and me, we went to Namibia by road. And that's how he was introduced. And the rest, go and talk to him. Because that is what he knows. Can't do anything else. At the age of matric, he left and he came into ministry. And there are young people here today. And I'm saying to you, don't get confused. Don't listen to the voices of the world. God is calling you. You've got a plan for your life. So, in verse 5, it speaks of new, new beginnings. Judea, new beginnings. <laughs> this is our Judea. We're crossing over these new beginnings for us. New things that God wanted to do. You know, when God spoke to me first about this thing, about new beginnings, I was passionate about this gospel, taking it. And uh, I had a word from God after, after severe testings and difficulties facing. God gave me a word. And he said, Henny, if you're obedient to me, before you reach the age of 50, you'll be throughout Africa with the gospel. I was right up in Malawi. That was about where, as far as my faith could go. And then the next thing is God started opening his doors. And uh, that airplane would have engine trouble and come and land in Blantyre so that the, my next contact could be in that plane to take me to Kenya. But I was in Kenya at the time and I felt God said to me, and I've never, I go into countries, I never go and read up about the country. Because if you go and read up of what's going on there, you'll become afraid. You won't go. So I just felt when the Holy Spirit said, you must go. I was, and he spoke to me, he said, go to Ethiopia. So I, I didn't even quite know where Ethiopia would be. I got into this plane from Kenya, but it went on my way to Ethiopia. But it was just, Ethiopia had this, they've had a sad history. You know, they've been under communism for a long time and the country was destroyed. The airport was in a mess. But I remember I got out from, came out from the airport, didn't know where to go, and out over there in the one corner, there were some buses parked there. I felt God said to me, just get, go to one of those buses. Get, into one, get in, get in a, one of the buses. And uh, I, I don't know where this bus is going. And I, I looked at this, I thought, well, this little self in me, I thought, well, God said I must go, but let me see which is the best bus. And I'll get into that bus. And as I walked up to this bus, it's like God saying, no, no, not the best one. Look at the most ugly one, the one that is, you get into that bus. So I got in that bus, started traveling, not knowing where it was going. It was on its way to a place called Debrezate. 
We arrived there. It was dark already. And I, didn't, I had no idea. I, didn't under, I only read about this, but Debrezate was the headquarters for the military, and Ethiopia was at war with Eritrea. And I'm here in a war zone. And they're preparing all the military stuff there. And I, I didn't know what to do, but I, I came out from there, from the bus, and then one side in this, it's a build-up area. There's a building. Went in there, a house, only to discover that this is a brothel. And that became my headquarters. <laughs> so it was while I was in the set. That night, I got up. It was a rude awakening the next morning. I got out. I walked outside. I stood there by, this, by, the, by the wall, you know, this building. And I felt God spoke to me. He said, just start walking down the street. I did it. And then there's another house. And I felt God said, just go in there. I walked in there and I thought, here's in this kitchen, big kitchen table. And behind the table, around the table were men sitting there. I thought, what am I going to do with this? I, th I just know one thing. If you want to know what's in someone's heart, just offend them. You see what jumps out and then you can take it from there. I said something offensive. But they don't know me at all. As I, the guy that's now one of my big friends, Timbero, he was the, the guy, the spokesman. He looked at me and said, you know what? Three months ago, God spoke to us as a group and said we must come to this house and we must sit around this, this table because someone with a white face is going to walk in here. And you must listen to what he said, tell you. So he said, you can tell us what you want, but God said we must be here. And that's how the, the churches was planted there in, in, uh, in Deborah's eight. If you've got faith, come with me to Ethiopia and I'll show you what's going on there. It's like a revival there, uh, today that's happening there. But now I came to the end of my time in Ethiopia. I said, God, where do I go from here? And once again, I'm standing there by, the, by this wall. And uh, here in front of me, there's a lady, she started walking up towards me. And I thought, hey, this, I, I've got to be careful. I don't know what this lady is all about. She, does, she looked a bit funny. And I thought, no, I don't even want to <laughs> really greet her. She, as she came closer, she introduced herself. She said, my name is Tanai. I've just come to fetch you. But that, I've just prayed. I said, God, where to from here? And then here this lady walked in, walked up to me, said, I've come to fetch you. You're coming with me to Egypt. I've met that lady, only saw her twice in my life, and she died. I discovered that this was the lady, was Ethiopian lady, was badly abused by her husband. She fled to Egypt, and it was while she was in Egypt that she met Jesus. And Jesus sent her back to come and fetch me. I went to Egypt. To Egypt. The same thing here, I'm in Egypt. I, I don't know what to do. I know that this lady said, I will organize for you. Now, this is a no-go zone for Christianity at the time. But she said, I will try and organize some people for you. 
but I had no one to actually help me to, you know, with the venue and everything. And also, I walked down the street, and there's this little shop, and if you go to Cornerstone, there is an Egyptian boy, David. David and Becky, those two children, their father and mother, they were, they were little babies at the time. Their father was sitting, this Egyptian, so he sat behind this table, this business guy. I walked up to this Egyptian. <laughs> I said to him, I've just come because I'm here in, in, in Cairo and you're going you're gonna to help me. I'm going to preach the gospel here. And he looked at me and said, yes, I'll do it. But not knowing that this guy was on the unwanted list for the Egyptian government. And here I've got this man. He's going to coordinate everything for me. But not knowing this, that Mary is the best translator and interpreter that you can get in the country. And here's Mary, and she came, and she's my interpreter. She's standing there. God came and spoke to me and said, Henny, when I came to Egypt, I've been through every country in Africa with the exception of three, planting churches. Now I'm here in Egypt. And, and God spoke to me. He said, this couple that you've got here, they, okay, this is going to be key for you into the Middle East. And that's how we started in the Middle East. But it's just, I know that, Stan, how much time have you got here? Okay, guys, Lyria, I want to just help to stir your faith into the bigger that God has for us. Obedience will bring us to new beginnings. Obedience in God is when we start to hear what God is saying. And God will do it for you. This week, God wants to say to, you, say to you that you will be surprised if you step out and take me at my word. Anton, like I said, was a little boy. And he came into ministry. And for lack of time, you know, when he, he came out, left matric, we, uh, I was working in Sudan at the time. With the, and uh, Doug and myself had been many, many trips into Sudan. But before Duck came, also I went into, started going into Sudan and I was working with the military there. I used to would go back and say, Rita, there's a 90 plus percent chance that you will not come on any trip that you won't keep, come back alive. It was really in the thick. And I said, Anton came and he said, well, he's now, he's coming into ministry. I said, all right, you want to come into ministry? Come on a trip with me first. So I said, your first trip, you're coming with me to, to, to Sudan. Rita said, how dare you take your son, our son, to, to Sudan? You, we might not come back alive. I said, I'd rather let my son die in action, serving God, doing what he called him to become a statistic. Not knowing that that first trip, yes, we saw the miraculous little boy that was either dead or deeply unconscious being raised up again. We saw God moving in a supernatural way, but not understanding that one day I'll tell you the story, how that we managed to get into Sudan with a Russian pilot called Smirnov, and he flew us in with a plane from, from Sudan, from, from, uh, from, from Moscow, that they stole. And this was my pilot with the, who took us in. But not knowing that that was the trip that we had the plane crash. God saved us miraculously. My, my boy 
grew up with that, with God coming through in a way like that. So we need to be open. The second, the second point is we need to be open to the, to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And just for lack of time, I've, Sandy, we, sp- we stayed with Gary and Sandy the last few days. And I said to her, you know, when we talk about, you know, this is a head doctor, remember. You've got to be careful when you speak to her. And so we talk about the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit. I said, Sandy, go and read this book called The Elephant Whisperer. And the, this book, it's nothing about Christianity. It's just about a bunch of elephants. But, and how that those, this, the owner of this, this, uh, this farmer took these elephants, but he wrote, and it was, it was something that was proven, uh, what do you call it, scientifically. They, it's, a, it's a fact. And he, he wrote in this book, he said, he talked about acacia trees. He said, acacia trees, it is, it's just one, one, of, one of many, you know, of, of God's miracles. He said, when a giraffe, for example, would come and would start to eat on, the, on this acacia tree, the, uh, that tree is so sensitive and he realized that there is an intruder and he would, he would send up a toxin into the, into the, uh, the branch, in the leaves, and it would start to, uh, while the animal is eating it, the, uh, all of a sudden, this tree that was so delicious becomes something that he doesn't like. And he walks away from that to the next acacia tree. And at the same time, that same tree would send an odor to the next one, informing him that there is an intruder coming. Now, I thought, if God, who created everything, with a tree that can become sensitive, how much with us as believers, when we have been given the Holy Spirit, we've been made in the image of God, and yet we don't understand what this is all about, that God said He'd given us the Holy Spirit, and if we can be open, if you open your spiritual eyes this morning, your ears, you know that He's here. We know that God wants to do something in our midst. So we need to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I was out, just, just a quick story on this. I like to just share things because I don't just talk about something which we haven't experienced. I was in Namibia twice this year. And while I was there, the second trip, the, uh, the first trip, one night in, a, uh, in this meeting, a lady came forward. She wanted to see me spoke to her, not knowing that she's going to be the next vice president for Namibia. But she's broken. I went back the second time, Rita and myself this year, and this lady knew that we were coming. So she came to see us. She said, the next trip you come, I'm organizing the government. I want you to, to come and see what's going on in our government. And it's just like, God placed that person there. But the next, during the course of the night, sleeping and God gave me the name of a person. His name is J.P. de Cruz. I've never met, met in my life a man called J.P. de Cruz. I don't know who he is. But I've just got J.P. de Cruz. So the next morning, Arno van Rooyen, who's planted the church there, came and said, Henny, we've got a meeting at such a, at the one place. I'd like to take you there. And we went there, and it was in a little restaurant. We had to see someone. And they... They walked the guy in, he introduced himself to me, 
and his name is J.P. De Cruz. And, and right there, God gave me the word. It's a big thing. This guy is working into Angola. He's, he've, got, he's got a feeding scheme. I don't know how many hundred people, children he's feeding every day. But it's just like the favor of God. And it's just to become sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to what God wants to do. So there must be more than just this life. And this life is not about you. It's not about yourself and what you're familiar with, but it's about what God wants to do. You remember the story of Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor went to China. And while he was in China, everyone heard about Hudson Taylor. Everyone's, you know, in the UK, heard, they knew about him. And he went back on furlong to, 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 the, to the UK. And when he arrived by ship, when he arrived there, all the newspaper reporters were standing there on the shore wanting to interview him. The one guy walked up to him and said, hey, you know what? You are famous. Everyone knows about you. He said, you are just like the Apostle Paul. And he stood there and he was, dis he was discouraged. He said, but I want to be like Jesus. <laughs> For us, this is the thing that's in our heart that we stirred. I'm here because of that. I, I'm not here for anything else. If God could speak through a donkey, He can speak through me as well. God can take any one of us and He can use us for the extension of His kingdom. So, one, one morning, I was half asleep, half awake. I felt, it's like God took me walking in the, in the felt. And I looked up to the skies and all the stars were out in all its glory. And the next moment, it's like three to four times as many stars came out and was overwhelmed. It was just, it, was, it wasn't day, it wasn't night. It was just different. And then there, I saw this pillar of fire. It was, it was on the one side. And it's like God saying to me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in with my power, my Holy Spirit. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead and you're gonna, the things that we're going to see in the days to come is going to be what we've never experienced before. We must get ready for what God wants to do. Greater things are yet to come. Yet to come. Amen. Then, I was also on the plane one day on my way to, to Sudan. And in, in Nairobi, I bought this uh, Bible. It was a new, trans, new, uh, new translation and I, I charted a little, pla little, small little plane and I sat in the back of this plane and I felt just God was saying to me, just go to the book of Acts. And this guy wrote a little thing, a foreword in this book of Acts. And he said, actually, the book of Acts is not, the last chapter of the book of Acts has not been written yet. He said, we are writing the last chapter of the book of Acts. When I read this, I just wept. Say, God... If I read the book of Acts, what you did there, if we are writing the last chapter of the book of Acts, it's not going to end in defeat. It must, it, must be, it must be the highlight of what is to come. We are living the last chapter of the book of Acts. We are writing that in history. This is what God is doing. And we need to open our spiritual eyes to that. Thirdly, just quickly, the church is not in the maintenance mode. 
little quote that I've got here, since we don't strive to give it, to gain it, now we don't strive to, we, we strive to maintain it. We are not in the maintenance mode. We cannot just, it is not just the same old thing all the time. We are here because God wants to do new things. And with that, we talk about we're not in the maintenance mode. Two things that we need to remember, and maybe this is the word for you. If we are not in the maintenance mode, remember this, God is saying simplify your life. Just, there are certain things that you need to just, you've, it is top heavy. You need to simplify your life. And, and secondly, throughout every day, listen to what God is saying. If, you, if, you, if, we, had, if we had time, I would have showed you. Right in the beginning of my Bible, I would start my day with four points. Number one, I would say, I would start the day and say, God, this day, I'm coming to you. I want to take my shelter under your wing. I want you because you are my safe place. I can come to you. And then secondly, I pray, say, God, help me to this day not to marginalize the presence of the Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord Jesus, to just walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing I'd say, understand that this is not my call. I cannot personalize the call of God. It is God who called me. It's not my call. I belong to Him. And the fourth thing is, help me, Lord Jesus, not to, be, not to learn not to be bypassed. Help me to understand that every day there's an opportunity to be offended. The devil will come in and discourage you. But just to, to be focused and to, to see what God is doing. Just quickly. We need to, fourthly, we need to focus on what, you, what is eternal. In 1 Corinthians, and just, I would like to just, just close with this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we read about this, and it's Paul writing. He said, do you not know, verse 24, that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone, excuse me, who, who competes in the game does in, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will, will last. But we do it to get the crown that will last forever. Therefore, I, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and, in, and I make it my slave so that after I've preached the, to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This is Paul writing. I'm sorry, my I'm emotional. I, this is the gospel. This is Paul speaking. This is, I want to run this race. I want to run it. There's a reason why I'm here. And then he also wrote later on in Galatians, you've been running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? What, what disqualified you? I heard this little talk on the radio. And they, they talk about people racing with motor cars, like the Grand Prix. And, I, and this guy wrote this, and he said, in a race, in a Grand Prix race, many races are won and lose, or lost in the first corner of the race. You know, many of us, we've just started, and we disqualify ourselves in the first corner. It's not how you start, it's how you're going to finish the race. And he also, they go on to say that the thing that most drivers are afraid of it's when it's starting to rain. There's some rain coming. When it's starting to rain and the road gets wet, 
they, they, they start to panic. And that is like with believers, when we face hardship, we see that there's, there's no end to what we are facing. It's difficult. You see, when the rain starts to come in a, in a race, most, the, those racing drivers understood this one thing. When you drive, when, you, when you've got that steering wheel, you loosen your grip, slacken your grip on the steering wheel because if you've got a tight grip, you're going to oversteer and you make an accident. And for us, when we go through this, so often we've got such a tight grip on what we've got. We think this is my thing. God is saying, just loosen your grip so that you feel just what, it, what I want to do so that you don't oversteer. I believe that, you know, when, when difficult times come, we go into that mode. The, the last little thing of that with this in the Grand Prix, when the rain comes, quickly, that driver understood this one thing. I need to change my tires. And quickly would pull in and he would change his tires. And for us, in the same way, we're in this race. And God is saying, it's crossing over time. You are here standing in our midst. God is maybe saying to us, it's time for us to change our tires because it's a new thing that God is bringing us into. I pray that God will take you and use you. And this church will carry on with the testimony that you've got, what God has called you to. And it's been an absolute privilege and honor just to spend time with you. God bless you. Thanks, Stan.